if you have a Bible, you want to open up to the Old Testament book, the book of Ezekiel. It's Labor Day, so you got to get a little Ezekiel in your life. So I figured we would do that. Um, and uh, as we, we do this today, um, you know, as, as I've said so many times before this year, that because of the things that are going on in our world and the things that we've seen, we've taken time to look at Bible prophecy, what the Bible says about prophecy in times prophecy, and then also we've been talking about faith. What does it look like to live and walk in faith in this time? And so uh, we've been looking at that, and I want to go a little bit further today and, and talk a little bit about Bible prophecy and some of the things that, that, uh, that we're, we're going to see and some of the things that we have seen. And, and let, me, let me just start by saying that I grew up in the church, and uh, growing up in the church, I never really struggled with my faith until I went to college and I encountered some professors who were determined to destroy any, any faith whatsoever. And so I went through that time of wrestling like so many do and, and I came to, as part of my journey, I came to discover what is called Bible prophecy and uh, how unique it is. So I've asked you to turn to Ezekiel 36. What we're going to do today, typically we have our outline and um, we write down a bunch of things. We're not doing that today, but we are going to be writing in our Bibles as we unpack some things. But um, there on your outline, uh, the Bible is, a, a third of the Bible is prophecy. And what I love about the Bible is that God says, here's what's going to happen. And it happens just as God said. It's what makes Christianity unique. As a matter of fact, there on your outline, you'll see in Isaiah, God is speaking. And he says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Here's how he's unique. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things which have not been done. So God says, I will tell you in advance, hundreds and sometimes thousands of years, what's going to take place. And when it happens, you'll know that, that, it's, that it's me because I'm the only one who can do that. So there is no other faith, there is no other book on the planet that lays out the future with 100% accuracy, but God says, I'm the only one who can do that, and that's how you'll know that it's me. We're going to talk about some of that today. So there's something that the Bible talks about that would trigger that last generation. We would say the end times or the last days. So, um, and, and I need to tell you that, as I said, I grew up in church, and uh, what we're going to look at today is, is uh, I- incredible in the sense that it was laid out thousands of years ago, but I grew up in the church, and we never talked about this. I, I went to a Christian college, you'd say Bible college, and nobody ever mentioned this. I went to seminary, and uh, in my seminary experience, we never talked about this at all. But we're going to talk about something today that has never happened before in world history. And uh, we're going to talk about something today that the entire world saw take place. And we're going to talk about something that's before us on a daily basis in the news. And uh, we're going to talk about something that God has done and will not be undone. Uh, There's no way that it will be undone. We're going to talk about something that's so glaringly obvious from the Bible, and yet sadly, so many believers, so many religious leaders miss the the significance of what we're going to talk about today. There is a sign that is given in the Bible 
where we are told that that would begin that final generation. And that's something that's never taken place in world history before. And it's simply this. I'll give you the punchline and then we'll begin to unpack it. The Bible teaches that Israel existed as a nation up until 70 AD, and there would come a time that they would not exist as a nation. But when they became a nation again, that would begin that final generation. Israel is the only nation on the planet in the history of the world that existed as a nation, did not exist as a nation for almost 2,000 years, and then became a nation again. This has never happened in world history. So in 1948, as you know, Israel became a nation again. My mom was eight years old when that happened. And uh, so and we're going we're gonna to look at that today and see what the Bible has to say. Um, you, you kind of expect when you come to Calvary, you're going to get a Bible study. Are you guys up for a Bible study today? Good, good. All right. So a, a chapter that we've looked at so many times before this year, um, there on your outline, you recall it's the last week of Jesus's ministry. The disciples come to him privately there on your outline and uh, they ask three questions and they say, tell us when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The disciples had paired his coming with the end of the age. And so they asked, what is that sign that we can look for? Well, Jesus began, uh, he begins a two-chapter response to those three questions. You know, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So we've gone through that many times. I put some verses there in your outline from Matthew 24, a few verses down from 32 to 35, and we'll look at this more throughout the year. But Jesus answering the question, the sign of his coming, he says there on your outline, he says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. And I put Hosea chapter 9, verse 10 in, in the Bible. Whenever the fig tree is used as a symbol, it always is a reference to Israel. Now, sometimes it's just talking about a fig tree, then it's just talking about a fig tree. But when it's used as a symbol, it's always a reference to the nation of Israel. So there in your outline, and you can look it up later, I put Hosea 9.10, you can look that up, and God just says, my fig tree Israel. That's a direct quote. He says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near. How near? Right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So a, a couple of things in that little passage. First of all, and uh, we'll even see today that, that uh, in the Bible, symbolically, whenever the fig tree is used as a symbol, it's always a reference to the nation of Israel. And he says there, now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. If you've lived up north, you, you totally get this. But um, after a very long winter, Israel is going to look very dead, just, just like a tree, in this case a fig tree. But in the early spring, what looks so dead begins to come back to life. And as it begins to come back to life, it begins to put forth leaves and the bud. And, and so it looks dead, but it's really not. And then he says, learn the parable from the tr fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. When you see Israel the fig tree began to come back to life, and it did in 1948, then you know that the next event, the next season is summer. And then, and again, Israel's going to look dead for a very long winter, 2,000 years. 
Then he says, so you too, in that little verse 33, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. So how near? Right at the door when you see that. Verse 34, he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He's not talking about the generation 2,000 years ago. He's talking about the generation that sees Israel, that fig tree, come back to life. It came back to life in 1948. That, all these things will be wrapped up before that generation passes away. Again, my mom was eight years old at that time. Jesus knows how crazy that sounds, and so he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We won't know the day or the hour, but he points us to the generation when we see that fig tree come back to life, which we're going to talk about today. So I've asked you to turn to Ezekiel 36. Now we're going to look at Ezekiel 36 and 37. We're going to do a little bit more reading than we typically do. But if you are into Bible prophecy, there are four chapters that are very, very famous among those who study prophecy. And it'd be Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, and 39. Now 38 and 39 are considered the most popular or most famous chapters. And uh, they deal with a coming war which is still in the future. I want to reference two verses there just so that we understand the timeline. So again, we're going to look at 36 and 37, but in chapter 38, God speaks and he says, and you want to underline there in your outline, you will come up against my people Israel. You want to underline that? Like a cloud to cover the land. It will come about in the last days. And you want to underline that, that I shall bring you against my land. Now here's what that tells us. In the last days, Israel will be back in their homeland. That's what he's saying. And so uh, you, you want to keep that in mind. So in the last days, Israel will be in their homeland. Chapter 39, it's going to say this, and I put this on your outline. He says, when I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of many, uh, the many nations and they will know that I am the Lord their God because I made them to go into exile, I've underlined that, among the nations, and then gathered them again into their own land. And again, that's in the last days as he talks about. Israel, let me say it one more time, Israel is the only nation on the planet in the history of the world that existed as a nation, ceased to exist as a nation in 70 A.D., for 2,000 years, the Jewish people live in all four corners of the earth. And in 1948, they become a nation again, and they begin to flood back into their homeland, just as the Bible says. So far, so good? So we're going to pick it up in Ezekiel 36. And as we do this, um, we're going to read. And I like to underline in my Bible, and the reason for that is so that when I read something, you know, sometimes we'll read something and we miss something. But when we underline certain things and you go back, they begin to pop. And so I'm going to encourage you to underline some things as we go. Now this part, Ezekiel 36, as it begins, God is going to be spe speaking specifically to the land of Israel. And so uh, I write in my Bible little notes like this, and this is to the land. And you might want to write that down at the top of uh, chapter 36. This is to the land of Israel. So again, we'll, we'll read and we'll underline as we go and uh, see, see where we wind up. So chapter 36, verses 1 and 2. 
And you, son of man, prophesied, this is to Ezekiel, to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy, and I've underlined that, has spoken against you. And in my Bible it says, aha, and the everlasting heights have become our possession, our possession. So you, you have the nations that are surrounding Israel. One of the things that you find is those are all Islamic nations. And uh, they are saying that land is our possession. And uh, so they've been saying that for over a thousand years. So you want to keep that in mind. And, and, and a great deal of the battle in the Middle East right now is who owns the land. So they say that's our possession. Verses 3 through 5, he says, Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, For good reason they have made you desolate and crushed you from every side, that, and that you would become a possession of the rest of the nations. And I've underlined that. And you have been taken up in the talk and the whispering of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, now keep in mind, he's speaking to the land here. Hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord God, to the mountains and to the hills, to the ravines and to the valleys, to the desolate wastes and to the forsaken cities, which have become a prey and a derision to the rest of the nations, I've underlined that, which are round about. Verse 5, therefore, thus says the Lord, Surely in the fire of my jealousy I have spoken against the rest of the nations, God is speaking, and against all Edom, I've underlined Edom, who appropriated, they took my land for themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and scorn of soul to drive it out for a prey. When you see Edom, Edom represents uh, geographically, nationally, in every other way. Uh, and and uh, you can get this a thousand different places. Edom represents the Islamic nations that surround Israel. And it says that they appropriated his land. They didn't just appropriate his land. They renamed his land after Israel's ancient enemies. So you've heard me say so many times before, uh, when you hear the word Palestine, that's the same word as Philistine, Philistine. It's the same word, just a different language. So when somebody calls the land of Israel the land of Palestine, that's like poking God in the eye. Uh, you'll notice that he always refers to it as my land, and he only refers to it as Israel. Verse 6, he says, Therefore, to Ezekiel, prophesy concerning the land of Israel. Remember, this part is to the land. And say to the mountains and to the hills and the ravines and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my wrath because you have endured the insults of the nations. Israel has been uh, endured the insults of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, and uh, you want to underline however your Bible says it, God says, I have sworn that surely the nations which are round which are around you, will themselves endure their insults. So God here, in my translation, God says, I'm swearing an oath. How many of your Bibles say something like, God says, with my hand uplifted or something like that? So the idea is God says, I am, I am swearing that I'm going to do this and nothing is going to change that. And so you want to keep that in mind as we go. Verse 8, 
He says, but you, O mountains of Israel, you will put forth your branches and bear your fruit for my people Israel. Does that sound kind of like Matthew 24 when he talked about you'll begin to bud and bloom and, and, and blossom again? You will bear fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come. And you want to underline that. They will soon come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you will be cultivated and sown. And I will multiply men on you, all the house of Israel, and all of it. And the cities will be inhabited, and the waste places will be rebuilt. I will multiply on you man and beast, and they will, in- you, and, and they will increase and be fruitful, and I will cause you to be inhabited as you were formerly, and I will treat you better than than at the first, and you will know that I am the Lord. You'll know that I am the Lord. That's not an interpretation. That's just God laying it out, saying, I'm going to bring the nation of Israel back into their homeland, and uh, they're going to be cultivated, and they're going to be multiplied. It was 20 years ago, I was at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, and they had some of the leaders from Israel come in. I think Netanyahu was one of them, and they talked about how we're a small nation. We're only 4 million people and uh, now they're over 8 million people. So they're, they're being multiplied as they go, as they've come back into the land. Well, well, in case we miss it, verse 12, he says, yes, I will cause men, in case we miss it, my people Israel, you want to underline that, to walk on you and possess you so that you will become their inheritance and never again bereave them of children. Verse 13, Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you're a devourer of men and have bereaved your nation of children. Therefore, you will no longer devour men and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord. I will not let you bear insults from the nations anymore, nor will you bear disgrace from the peoples any longer, nor will you cause your nation to stumble any longer, declares the Lord. Have you noticed that ever since Israel became a nation that nobody can beat them militarily? Do you know how small the nation of Israel is? Let let me just give you a map just to give some perspective. If you were to look at the Middle East, uh, we had to put an arrow there just so you don't miss it. But uh, you can see there's Turkey and Syria and Iraq and Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, Libya, and all those Islamic nations that are surrounding them. So you say, well, how small is this tiny little nation of Israel? Well, let me give you another map just to add some perspective. Another map, maybe not that map, this map. So if you were to take the entire nation of Israel and put it in the state of Florida, it would take up almost Dade Broward in Palm Beach counties. That's how small of a nation it really is. And nobody can beat them because God says, I'm calling you into the land and that's what's going to take place. God brought them back. So the first part of this chapter, God speaks to the land of Israel. And then as he continues Uh, he begins to answer the question, why did they go into exile 2,000 years ago? Well, uh, we're going to pick that up in verse 16. And it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, 
They defiled it by their ways and by their deeds. And their way before me was like, it's very graphic, like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. God bless to us the reading of his word. God is not always politically correct. Verse 18. And so it says, Therefore I poured out my wrath upon them, on them, for the blood which they had shed in the land, because they had defiled it with their idols. And then you want to underline all of verse 19. Also I scattered them among the nations, and that's plural, and they were dispersed throughout the lands according to their ways and their deeds. I judged them. Uh, idolatry was a big thing back in ancient Israel. But the thing that, that really ended it all was that when Jesus came, the Christ, the Messiah that they were waiting for, uh, they rejected him. And less than 40 years later, they were completely wiped out as a nation and ceased to exist as a nation. Verse 21, uh, verse 20, he says, Now when they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they've come out of his land. The idea is that for God's people to be removed from the land was actually profaning the Lord because they were supposed to follow the Lord and stay in their land and, and, and be an example. Verse 21, but I had concern, God speaking for my holy name, and you want to underline, underline that, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Verse 22, I've underlined all of it. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. So, so God is saying, it's not because you did good, it's just for my name because I've sworn and this is what I'm going to, to do. Now, if you've been around the church for, for some time, there, there is this concept and it's called replacement theology. Replacement theology holds that the church has replaced Israel and that God is done with the Jewish people. Here, God says, I am not done with the Jewish people. I am calling them into their homeland in the last days. And so you just want to be aware of that. Verse 23, God says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their midst. Now, verse 24, you want to make sure that you underline. For I will take you from the nations, plural, and gather you from the lands and bring you into your homeland, into your homelands. That would be from all the nations around the world. Well, verse 25, he says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone uh, of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, or my ways we might say, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. So the question is, are they doing that? And the answer is, no, they're not. That's going to happen later on. The first part is that God has called them back into the land 
and no one can remove them. Verse 28, you will live in the land that I gave your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. Again, uh, they're, they're not following yet, but they will. Verse 29, moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness and I will call for the grain to multiply the grain and multiply it and I will not bring a famine on you and I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight and your iniquities and your abominations. They haven't come to that place yet. But I would encourage you, if you look at a satellite image and you look at Israel, versus all the nations that surround, you'll find that Israel is very green and uh, the rest of the nations are very desert-esque, we might say. So verse 32, he says, I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. And then he begins to reiterate the promise. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, the waste places to be rebuilt, the desolate land will be cultivated instead of a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say, this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. And the nations that are left around you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. And so we've seen God do that in 1948. They became a nation again, just as the Bible said. Verse 37, thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during the appointed feasts, so that the waste cities will be filled with flocks of men and they will know that I am the Lord. So this, this nation is growing even though it's very, very small. Well, uh, a couple of things. Um, did I put you to sleep yet? All right, well, let's see if I can do it here. But um, verse chapter 37, as we pick this up, in chapter 36, he speaks to the land, and then he talks about why they went into exile but now he's going to talk about the resurrection of this nation. And so chapter 37, it continues, and we're not going to go through the whole chapter, but we're going to cover some verses here. Chapter 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit, I've underlined by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones, and I've underlined full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And I've underlined they were very dry. So chapter 37 begins. God takes Ezekiel by the Spirit. So this is going to be a vision. He's in the Spirit at this point. And he sees bones in this valley scattered. So these are not skeletons. These are just scattered bones everywhere. And, and uh they're very dry. And the, the, the idea of that is that you and I would look at it and you'd say, there's no way that these bones are ever going to come to life. Just, it just couldn't happen. So verse three and four, he says, and he said to me, son of man, 
can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So this is what God is going to say. Thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life, that you may come to life. And I will put sinews on you. We would say tendons and things like that. Make flesh grow upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded and I prophesied and there was a noise and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone. So the bones started coming together. Now when you hear theologians talk about this, uh, they say it happens like this. They say that the the leg bone connected to the (laughs) knee bone. I don't know why I try. (laughs) Verse 8, he says, and I looked and behold sinews were on them and flesh grew and skin covered them but there was no breath in them. So what we're going to see here, uh, there's a process of them coming to life. Scattered, coming together, beginning to, to come back to life, but still no breath at this point. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me And the breath came into them and they came to life and they stood on their feet. And I love this part. My Bible says an exceedingly great army. Does your Bible say something like that? I showed you how small Israel is, but they are ranked as the eighth most powerful military in the world. It's just incredible. So, So verse 11, it says, he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. It's not the church. The whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is perished. We are completely cut off. So what we're going to find as we read the next few verses that where Israel went into all the nations, they believed that God God was done with them. And so it's going to refer to those nations as their graves. So keep that in mind as we see some things as we go. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, verse 12, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people. And then you want to underline, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. They thought their nations that they were in was their graves. I'm going to call you out and bring you into your land then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. And then you want to underline, I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. So there's something else here. Um, I'm going to read two more verses and then we'll unpack it. The word of the Lord came again to me saying, and you, son of man, take for yourself one stick, you want to underline that, and write on it for Judah 
and for the sons of, and and for the sons of Israel. So you want you want to underline Judah and the sons of Israel, and his companions, and then take another stick, and write on it for Joseph and the stick of Ephraim, all the house of Israel, and his companions. So. I want to show you a map of Israel as they would understand Israel at this time. When you have Israel, it was after Solomon died, his son became king. His son makes some horrible decisions and there is a division in the kingdom. So if you've grown up in the church, you've heard people talk about the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And then some places you'll read and you'll say, the kingdoms of the, the kings of Israel come out to fight the kings of Judah. And you go, wait a minute, aren't, aren't they all Jewish? Aren't they all one? Well, yes, in one sense, but the kingdom was divided. And so the northern part of Israel was called, we would refer to it as Galilee or the northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel. And then in the middle of Israel is this area that they call Samaria. Does everybody see that? Many people are surprised to find that the Samaritans lived in the middle of Israel. But then you come to the bottom part of Israel, and that was the king, uh, kingdom of Judea, or the area of Judea, we would say the kingdom of Judah. So there were two kingdoms for many, many years. And so you want to keep that in mind as we go. So you've got the kingdom of Israel, and then the kingdom of Judah, and then let's see what he says when they become a nation again. He says, chapter, uh, verse 17, he says, Then join them for yourself, one to another, into one stick, that they, they may become one in your hand. You want to underline that. When the sons of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what you mean by these? And say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, that's up in the north, and his companions, and I will put them with it, and the stick of Judah, which is in the south, and I will make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. The sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Verse 21, and I've underlined all of this. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone. And I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And that happened in 1948. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king will be king over all of them. And they will no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. When Israel became a nation again, it was not the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. It was all just one nation, the nation of Israel, just as the Bible said. Do you find that at least remotely interesting? Now, that's important because uh, there's a couple of things that y you need to know. Uh, first of all, the Bible talks about how Israel would come back into the land in the last days. Literally, and, and Jesus says that would begin that final generation. The world will refer to Israel as the occupied territory, uh, certain parts of it. God says, no, that's my land, and those are my people, and uh, this is what I'm doing. Religious leaders, prominent religious leaders, will make statements, and they will say, Israel, or Palestine as they like to call it, Philistine, uh, they will say that that land belongs to the Muslims, the Jewish people, and the Christians. God says, 
no, it's my land and it's for my people Israel and I'm bringing them back into the land in the last days. So, so you want to know that. You'll also find that one of the big conversations out there will be that we need to have a two-state solution. The Palestinians need to have a state and uh, the Jewish people need to have a state. God is very emphatic. It's my people, it's my land, and this is what I'm doing. So anytime you see a treaty that talks about a two-state solution, just know that that two-state solution is going to last about 10 minutes after it's signed. And it's not going to happen until after the church is removed. And then there's going to be some things. That's a wonderful conversation for another day. God is the one who brought the nation of Israel back into the land. It's the only nation on the planet in the history of the world that existed as a nation, ceased to exist as a nation, 2,000 years comes back as a nation, just as the Bible said. They were two nations, now they are one nation. Uh, This is why I am a Christian, because I went to college just like everybody else, and I had some professors do their very best to destroy any remnant of faith that I had. But I began to look at Bible prophecy, and as God said, and we began in the beginning with Isaiah saying, I will tell you the end from the beginning. No one else can do that. No one else can do that. And it's because of that 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 I'm a Christian here today. And that is an incredibly firm foundation uh, that you can have when you look at the accuracy, 100% of Bible prophecy. So when somebody says, well, your faith is as good as my faith, who are you to say that your faith is any better than my faith? Well, here's what I can tell you. Only God can tell you what's going to happen thousands or hundreds of years before it happens, and it happens just as God said. The Quran can't do that. Buddha can't do that. Not to bash anybody, but only God can do that. And uh, hopefully you have that as your firm foundation. Sadly, I'm way far away from my notes now, so you know we're in dangerous territory. (laughs) So I normally go, and another thing. Guys, Bible prophecy is your foundation. And so when you have that and you understand that only God could do this, it's, it's a terrible thing that in church world, we are taught, whatever you do, don't talk about Bible prophecy uh, because people don't want to hear it. But it's vitally important to your faith. Well, with that, we're going to close. And as we do, as always, I want to give you the opportunity, if you're here today, if you've not received the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, as we close today, you can receive that. You can receive that. And you can receive that with the full assurance that there's more to this book than just a nice uh, writings or uh, poetry or interesting tidbits. But this book is literally the word of God. And only God could do that. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this congregation. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you for prophecy, which is unique in the religious world. You are the only one who says, I will say it. It'll happen just as I say it and uh, exactly the same way that I say it. And no one else, no other God, no other faith can do that.
And so we come to you today, and for those of us who've not done this, we say, Jesus, we receive today your free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. We want you to enter into us. We want to be yours. We want to have that relationship with you now and throughout all eternity, and we invite you to come in. It's very simple. And if you've invited him in, he promises that he will never leave and that you will be his. And now you get the opportunity to have that relationship with him now as you follow him now and throughout all eternity. Father, thank you again for this congregation. I pray that you keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next time.